and pray over it. Father, we just thank you for the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, the inspired word of God. And we pray that, Lord, you will bless it tonight and teach us and help us, Lord, to be established in the truth and veracity of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you say with me, God did it. He created everything. And you can be seated. God bless you. Now, we're in the book of Genesis because I see, a, a, I, as a pastor, I'm very concerned about the church in America because the culture is affecting the church more than the church affecting the culture. This should not be. It ought to be the church impacting the culture. And so the only way that we can turn that around is to, one, return to the Word of God and not be confused about the truth of the Word of God. The Bible says, Thy Word is truth. His Word is truth. The Bible says, as we have seen in the last few months, all Scripture is given by what, everyone? Inspiration of God. How much of Scripture? All of it. That includes Genesis, the beginning of it. Now watch this. If you don't believe the claims of Genesis, what do you do with the rest of the Word of God? Because Jesus believed the claims of Genesis and quoted it. So if you think Genesis is wrong in what it claims about the beginning of the world, God creating all things, something out of nothing, by the very word of God, everything was there, full grown, fully mature, there was not an evolutionary process. If you don't believe that, then you're going to have great trouble believing in Jesus Christ because he quoted Genesis. And he believed it. Uh, he said God created male and female. He said God created you. So if you don't believe the claims of the Bible, if you don't believe the claims of Genesis, you have to doubt Jesus. And if you doubt Jesus, where does that place you? Not in a very good position to affect the culture. So let's look tonight at something you've got to know and you've got to come to terms with, and that is the fall of man into sin. We have psychological problems because we have a sin problem. We have drug problems because we have a sin problem. We have alcohol problems because we've got a sin problem. We are fallen creatures. Let's look at it here. Uh, last time we closed with Satan's attack on Eve. And I'm going to deal with that tonight before I go into the fall of Adam. We've got to see how the devil attacked Eve. Because the way he attacked Eve to bring her to the place of falling is exactly the way he attacks you and me. Let's look at his bag of tricks. His bag of tricks has not changed. So let's look at it. Satan opened the discussion with Eve. He came up to her utilizing the body of a snake. And so he slithered up to her and through the serpent began to speak to her. And it says in the Bible we see that it was a threefold attack. And it was a threefold attack all in the arena of doubt all three of which were a direct attack against the Word of God. What did the devil try to do with Eve? Try to get her to doubt the Word of God. Is he any different today? He's no different today. To attack the veracity and the truthfulness of the Word of God. And that was Eve's only defense in the garden. Now look what he first did. He first challenged the authorship of God's Word. Now I've spent months teaching us here on Wednesday nights about who the author of the Word of God is. It's not a bunch of neat sayings tucked away in a devotional book. The Bible is not like any other book on earth. The Bible is the very Word of God. 
And if the devil's going to bring you down, bring you into a place of temptation, bring you to a fall, I guarantee you the first thing he's going to try to do is get you to doubt the word of God. Look at how he did it. He said, has God said? Are you sure God has said? How do you know it's the word of God? Ever heard that voice in your head? How do you know it's the word of God? How do you know that God said it? After all, after all, you weren't even there when that word was given. Now, he could have said that to Eve because she wasn't there when God told Adam, don't eat of the forbidden tree. He, she got it secondhand. Adam got it first from God. So here comes the devil. How do you know, Eve, that God has said? And so standing there in the garden, the pristine, unfallen, gorgeous, beautiful garden, here stands the first woman, and the devil approached her and attacked the Word of God, the authorship of the Word of God. Has God said, Eve? Are you sure about that? In her reply, guess what she did? She misquoted the Word of God. That tells me she wasn't listening very close to hubby. Because hubby gave her the message. And it didn't take much to memorize the word of God in those days. It was simple. Don't eat of that tree. That didn't take a lot of Bible memory. Don't eat of that tree. All right. Adam told Eve. She got it second hand. Well, she misquoted it. Showing a carelessness that must have greatly encouraged her foe. Then having questioned the authorship of the word of God and hence its authority, the devil next challenged its accuracy. Are you sure God said it? And if, and if you think that God said it, are you sure you've got it right? Yes or yea, has God said, the devil said to her, yea, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. How do you know that's an accurate rendering? of what was originally said. How do you know something has not been lost in transmission? You recognize that? How do you know you've really got the Word of God, Eve? How do you know you got it straight? What if you're off just a little bit and it's really okay with God for you to eat of that tree? You just misunderstood the preacher on Sunday morning. You just misunderstood Pastor Jeff, on that Wednesday night when he was sharing the Word of God, you, you misunderstood it, or here's a better one, he really didn't understand what the Word of God said. And what you're sensing right now is the truth about the Word of God. He mistaught it. Of course, I can, I can do that unless I stay real close to the Word of God and teach exactly what it says, which we're doing right now. But he'll try to get you to think, first, God didn't say it. Second, are you sure you've got it straight? And finally, the devil attacked the acceptability of God's Word. Now, watch real carefully. This is important. God's demands often conflict with our own desires. Have you ever noticed that? I can tell you that God's requirements on my life every day conflict with my flesh. How about you? The Word of God will tell you to do something. Your flesh will stand up and say, uh-uh. Okay? Satan knew this. And he directed Eve's gaze to the forbidden tree. He said, look over there at that tree. Now, that tree is a symbol of anything the devil tries to tempt you and I with. And you know what? Some things will tempt you that won't tempt me. Some things may tempt me that won't tempt you. But we all have that one thing that the devil will home in on and try to tempt us with. That area of weakness. It might be pride. 
It might be alcohol, it might be drugs, it might be lust, it might be doubt, it might be fear. But there is that one thing that the devil pecks away at in your life and mine. And he'll get you to turn your gaze to that forbidden tree. Look over there at that which is forbidden. And the worst thing you can do is do that. You ought to be looking at the word of God. But he turned her gaze. He made her see how good it was for food. The Bible tells us that. How pleasant it was to the eyes. How much to be desired to make one wise. He persuaded her to act in independence of God. To be mature. Have you ever heard that boy say to you, if you're a grown-up adult, you can do what you want. You know what? Can I give you some news tonight? I don't care if you're 300 years old. You can't do what you want. If you do what you want, you're in trouble. Your flesh will get you in trouble every time. Now watch this. Do do your own thing, Eve. Get out of church. Get out of that Christianity stuff. Go find the world on your own. Same kind of thing. Now, having begun with doubt... Satan followed with a denial. Listen to what he said. You won't die. What you think God said would be the consequences for your sin are not true. You will not have consequences if you do this. Now, church, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you the truth tonight. Bluntly, this world is a world of consequences. God gave human beings uniquely the power of choice. And with every choice, there is a consequence for good or for bad. And if you think ever that it's otherwise, you have been deceived. What you sow, you will reap. You'll reap what you sow, you'll reap more than you sow, and you'll reap later than you sowed. But you will reap. And so he comes to her and he he disputes what God had told them. God said, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. The day you eat of it, you are dead. But the devil attacked the word of God and said, you're not going to die. There's not going to be any consequences for what you do. Look around you at all the people living in sin. Do you see consequences in their life? Looks to me like they're having fun. Have you heard that voice? Hollywood, all the people living in sin, and you know they're living in sin, but it looks like nothing ever happens to them. The devil says, see, there you are rotting away in church, trying to serve God, and you're not having any fun. And look at them, and there's nothing happening to them, but you don't see behind closed doors. Because I promise you, what you sow, you will reap. What you sow, more than you sow, later than you sow. That is a universal principle of life, and you cannot escape it. And if you sin, you will die. God had said, in the day that you eat of it, you're going to surely die. The whole temptation hinged on belief. Here comes, here's Eve standing there. Here comes the devil. And what it really came down to is, whose report would Eve believe? And that's what it comes down to for you and for me. Whose report are we going to believe? We're going to believe the word of God? Or are we going to believe what our flesh tells us or what this fallen, wicked, evil culture tells us? And it is every day a battle in your mind, between your ears. It is every day a battle. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the word of God or are you going to believe a lying, wicked, evil culture, a lying devil and lying flesh? What are you going to believe? Interestingly, in salvation, God brings our souls back to that very point of departure 
and insists on belief in his word in order to be saved. See, that's where they departed. They fell because they left the word of God. How do you get saved? You come back to the word of God. And if, and if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and we say, I believe that, we get saved. The same way you lost that walk with God, you get it back. Satan followed up the doubt and the denial with a delusion. You will be as gods, knowing good and evil. And you know the word that he used when he said you're going to be like a god? He used Elohim. The first word for God in the Holy Bible was Elohim. And he literally says to them, you're going to be like Elohim. You shall be as God himself. But he's a lying devil. I want to tell you something you can know about the devil tonight. You don't need to pray about it or wonder. If he speaks, it's a lie. If he speaks, it's a lie. Now, Satan was putting into Eve's mind the very same deluded thought that had once entered his own mind and had transformed him from the anointed cherub to the devil. What entered his mind that day? He said he ascended up towards heaven and said, I will be like the Most High. The very thing that had caused him to come crashing to earth in judgment, he was tempting the, the, the prime cut of God's creation, the best of the best, the crown of his creation, tempting them with the same thing, same lie. You'll be like God. You're going to get something out of this if you do it. You're going to be illuminated and enlightened if you do this, when in fact that's not what happened at all. Eve fell. Believing that eating the forbidden fruit would open her eyes to vast wisdom. No doubt she probably thought she would dazzle her husband with her newfound knowledge. Look what I know. Look at the illumination I've had. You want to talk about revelations, Adam? Sit down. Let me teach you. I've had a revelation. But no, that's not what happened at all. On the heels of doubt, denial, and delusion, Eve ate. Setting the stage for Adam's transgression. And listen to me, that's what the devil was after. Now before I go to this next one, let me tell you. Understand tonight, church, it is Satan's job to make evil look good. It is his area of expertise to dress evil up in such a way that it looks incredible. He can make it look like he's brought you your dream. He can make it look like uh, he can dress sin up like no other thing in the universe can dress sin up. He can, he can fix it up, dress it up, paint it up, make sin so convincing, so appealing that you can actually think you're doing right to eat that fruit. He'll promise you things behind it. This is what you've needed. This is what you've wanted. This is going to be an answer to your problems. This drug, this relationship, this drink. This is what you need. Here's your dream. Here it is. But behind everything Satan brings your way, and he'll bring it, and it'll look good. It'll seem right. It'll feel right. It'll, you can talk yourself into it. He can make anything look right. And that's why you've got to stay in the Word of God and say, you know what? No matter what I see, Taste, smell, experience, sense with my senses. Thus says the Lord, it is written. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. 
Don't fall for it. If the word is against it, you don't need to pray about it. You don't need to wonder if it's right or not. If the word is clearly against it, walk away. No, I take that back. Run away. You don't even need to pray about it. Now, he deluded her. She ate. And now Satan's real goal came next. The downward path and Eve's fall was steep. The enemy used the same old bag of tricks the Apostle John lays out in 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. It is of the world. And what did Eve do? She saw, that is, her gaze was directed towards what had been forbidden. The devil's aim was to turn her look into a lust. Next, Eve saw that the tree was good for food. There's the lust of the flesh. That it was pleasant to the eyes. There's the lust of the eyes. And that it was desirable to make one wise. That's the pride of life. With anything Satan comes to you and I with, it's going to be in one of those three categories right there. Lust of eyes, lust of flesh, the pride of life. All right? Y'all are quiet tonight thinking i hear the wheels turning and some of them are rusty all right you ready with this three-pronged weapon satan successfully took her down and has been using the same formula ever since now look what happened next eve's desire became a decision first he'll plant a desire and he wants that desire to become a decision satan cannot force you to do anything he can only lure tempt attract and suggest you've got to bite the bait he can't force you to do anything neither can i as a bass fisherman i can't jump in the lake chase that bass down grab him and hook him onto my hook i have to convince him i've got to appeal to his lust of the eye the lust of his flesh and i've got to make him think that if he bites that worm he's going to get something out of it and only when he has bitten does he realize he made a huge mistake because a creature bigger than him stronger than him is taking him now somewhere he did not want to go and that's the way it works once the decision to succumb is made the choice becomes a chain you start out with a choice well, I believe I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and succumb to this temptation and see what it's all about. And at first it's a choice, but you find that sin always has a hook, always has a chain. You start out wanting to, you end up having to. And that's what he's after. Now, with that very first bite, she was his. Eve was now a sinner. What a tragedy. Jesus said that he that commits sin is the slave of sin. She had become ensnared by the tempter, the first woman. What a tragedy. And as we just read, next thing on the list, Eve approached Adam with the forbidden fruit, and he ate as well. And we read that she gave the fruit to her husband. Now, he's minding his own. He has no idea What's going on with his wife just a few yards away in the garden? He's probably, you know, out there, you know, walking around or tending to some plants or fruit or whatever. And he doesn't know that his wife is being destroyed 
just a stone's throw away. And now the destruction that has entered into his home is headed towards him. He doesn't know it. The final aim of Satan was to turn the sinner into a seducer. Now here's the deal. We say all the time, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. And you know what? God does love you, and he does have a plan for your life. Let me flip it now. Satan hates you and has a devious plan for your life. And if you don't get into God's plan for your life, Satan will do his very best to execute his devious plan for your life. Now, what he wants you to do is not just for you to sin, but then for you to become an evangelist for sin, a seducer into sin, an influence that is negative in the lives of others. He wants to use you as a tool to seduce others into sin. Because that's what he did with the first woman. She went from a sinner to a seducer. Satan knew that Adam would not listen to his appeal, but that his wife could succeed where he could not. I want you to catch that. Why would that be? Because your emotions are the most dangerous thing in your head. Listen carefully to me. How did he know that he could not seduce Adam like he did Eve? Because Adam was logical. Eve was more emotional. Adam was logical. And, I, and Adam would have logically debated with the devil and quoted the word to him because the word had come to him first and he knew it and he would have quoted it to him. He said, how can I get to the first man, the head of the human race, so that I can infect the whole human race? Here's how I'll do it. I'll move in via his emotions. And the only way he could do that was this woman, this wife, who he had a huge emotional connection to. Now watch this. The Bible is clear that unlike his wife, Adam was not deceived. Eve got deceived and she ate the fruit as a deceived woman. But Adam ate it not deceived. Look what it says in the Bible in 1 Timothy 2.14. And Adam says, Paul, by the Spirit of God, Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But Adam was not deceived. He sinned with his eyes wide open. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew he was disobeying the clear command of God. He was not confused about the author. He was not confused about the meaning of the command that had come to him. He knew he was sinning. It is possible that, and this is what I personally believe, you can chew the meat and spit out the bones. This is what I think. Seeing the woman he loved in her fallen state and knowing that he could not bring her back to a state of innocence, emotionally emotion-driven, Adam deliberately stooped down to where she was to become like her. If this is the case, Adam's sin was more serious than Eve's because he deliberately and knowingly followed his heart into disobedience. And look what happened. In an idolatrous fashion, he placed his affection for Eve above his affection for God. And that's the danger of love betwixt people. Because no matter how much you love someone, you can't put them above God. I know men who would be in church if not for their wives. I know them personally. Well, I'd be there, but, but me and my, my wife just love so much being together, we just don't want to get out on a Sunday. Now, I'm going to tell you, when you go to meet Jesus at the end of days... And he says, how come you didn't do my will? How come you were not in church with God's people? And I happen to know uh, some men that have ministries. And they have placed their wives above God. And 
Woman, you can't put a man above God, and man, you can't put a woman above God. The minute you do that, you are in idolatry, and that relationship will go sour on you. Anything you put above God, you're either going to lose it, or you're going to grow to hate it. Hear me on this one. Anything you put above God, you're going to lose it, or you're going to grow to hate it. Because there's only one person who deserves the throne in your life. Numero uno, and his name is God. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You shall love the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He said, you should love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God requires being numero uno. That's why with some people, Christianity doesn't work, because they're not walking in real Christianity. God is not first in their life, and it's not going to work. There's mud in the gas tank if he's not first. You got to make him first. No human on earth is worth worshiping. Only him. Are y'all with me tonight? Because this is, this is what I believe took the first man down. Consequences of their sin immediately unfolded in all its horror. Let's look at some of the things that happened. First, the Bible records, and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. Now, what does that mean? It is possible that to this point, the first couple had been clothed with light. Now, I want you to follow me on this. The Bible says that God covers himself with light as with a garment. Jesus was likewise clothed at the Mount of Olives, or, or I'm sorry, the Mount of Transfiguration. He was clothed in light. The Bible says that his clothes became white and glistening with the light and the glory of God. The Bible says that God himself is light, and in him there's not one iota, not one scintilla of darkness at all, 1 John 1, 5. The moment they sinned, here's what I think happened. Adam and Eve saw the light go out. This must have been a truly horrifying experience because you know what I think about the first couple? I believe until they fell that they walked like glowing lights. There had never been a sin that had passed between them and God. Sin had not tainted or stained or tarnished the universe yet. And I believe since they had no sin were freshly created, had never fallen, never had a shadow pass between them and God, I believe they glowed with the glory of God. Even Moses that went up on the top of the mountain came down with his face glowing in the dark. He'd been with God enough that he was glowing like a Christmas light and they had to cover up his face. Well, what about the first couple? They were, they were, they were awash in light. And when they fell, the light went out. The light of the glory of God went out. Talk about a horrifying experience to know that you have made a decision that instantly alters everything around you, and it's very clear you have made a major mistake. It's the same with people today. To walk in sin is to walk in spiritual darkness. The Bible tells us that. When we sin, the light goes out. You ever been walking with God one day, you got up and you prayed, and you got into the Bible, and you've been doing great, and somewhere during the day, 
You get tripped up by the devil and you mess up and you fall and you stumble. Have you ever noticed how all of a sudden you feel dark in your soul? Because the light went out. Sin extinguishes the light of the glory of God. Church, when we're walking in the will of God, there's light. Let me just show you a couple of passages here. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is where? Preach it to me. Still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother does what? Preach it to me. Lives in the light. Is that figuratively speaking? No, it's literal. You're walking in spiritual light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But look what it says. Whoever hates his brother is where? In the darkness. He does not know where he's going because what? The darkness has blinded him. You can, when you sin, it is such darkness that it blinds your spiritual eye until you repent. Powerful stuff. The death of the Spirit within them. And their spirits died that day, y'all. Their spirits died that day. The death of the Spirit within them caused the light to be extinguished and suddenly... The physical side of their being was thrust into a prominence not before known because the light went out. They knew they were naked. This was simply the knowledge for which they had sold their place in paradise. I want to know good and evil. God said, okay. The light went out. Their daily fellowship with God disappeared. And their hope of eternal life, of never dying, was gone. But the consequences that fell due to their sin had only, only just begun. The Bible says they next sewed for themselves fig leaves and they made themselves aprons. You know what this was? Man's first pathetic attempt to cover up his sin. Fig leaves represent man's best effort in whatever form it takes to hide sin. See, that's what we do with sin. When we sin, the first reaction is to try to hide it. You walk into church, kumbaya, hallelujah, and you might have cursed somebody on the way here or in the parking lot. You lost your peace and shouted at somebody, but you walk in the church, hallelujah, and you're all holy. There's people that come to church all the time who are living lives of sin, but they cover it up really well. But I'm going to guarantee you this, your sin will find you out in time. Might as well get it out now. You might as well confess it now. Might as well fess up now. Well, I don't know, Pastor. I'm a pretty good liar. It's going to find you out. It's going to find you out. It's going to find you out. So you might as well settle it now. Settle the debt now. Settle the sin debt now. Don't leave church tonight without settling it. This might work between the two of them, the fig leaves, and trying to hide their sin. But our best efforts never hide our sin from the piercing eyes of God. Uh, the Bible says his eyes go to and fro beholding the evil and the good. God sees everything and knows everything instantly. He knows it before you do it. You're not a fooling God. And he'll eventually, if you don't repent of it, he'll bring it out. He loves you that much. He'll bring it out and it will find you out. Now next comes a pathetic and sad sight. The first couple fleeing from the presence of God. What a tragedy. They heard God approaching, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and for the first time in their lives, they feared God. Before their sin, the voice of God had thrilled them with joy. Here comes God walking in the garden. Hallelujah. Hey, God. They were on a first-hand, first, hey, first-person uh, relationship with Him. Hey, God. 
And God would talk to them, but not now. Now they were afraid of him, but not out of reverence, but out of terror. They were hiding. In their darkened condition, they actually believed they could hide from God. That shows us that their fall was complete. Next, from the inner sanctum of the garden came a very scary question from the mouth of God. Where are you? Sobering, searching questions stabbed into Adam's soul like a fiery sword. Where are you? Ever heard that voice coming after you? Where are you? What in the world are you doing? You ever heard that voice coming up to you in a bar, in a drug house, in a wrong relationship? God comes up, where are you? What a great question. That would preach. That would be a great sermon title. Where are you? And the same question comes searching into the heart of, I believe, every person on earth before they die. God will at least once say to them, somewhere along the way, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you so far from me? Why are you so far from me? Adam was lost. With no escape, he appeared from amongst the bushes to face his maker. Oh, my. <laughs> Can you imagine? You got me. You found me. Folks, you can't run from God. Now, here comes the first blame game. I get a kick out of this because nothing has changed. Like all of us, Adam seems to have had great difficulty in making a clean confession of his guilt. First, he offered an explanation. Well, I heard your voice, and I was afraid, and that's why I'm hiding. Because I was naked. That's why I was hiding. My sin was exposed. That's why I'm hiding. And I hid myself. That was an attempted explanation to try to tell God logically why he was hiding from him. But rather than the bright, honest, straightforward, upright man previously seen in the garden, do you see what we see now? He's shifty. He's devious. He's reluctant. He's an excuse-making creature. And isn't that what we're like today? Boy, y'all are quiet tonight. I mean, y'all are so quiet. I hear some of you going, man, I wish I'd have stayed home and watched American Idol or something. <laughs> Let me tell you what. I don't want an American Idol. I want Jesus. And so this is the Word of God. Now, and, and aren't we this way, really? Shifty, devious, reluctant. We, we make excuses when... We mess up in sin. And Adam now displays in full view the fallen heart that Jeremiah described as being deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. It had happened in a flash. When he ate and he fell, his character plummeted. And he became completely different. It shows the singeing effect of sin. Now, next, Adam produced an excuse. God went straight to the heart of the matter. Who told you you were naked? But rather than confess his sin... He blamed the woman. How many of you guys have ever done it? Don't raise your hand. Look what he says. Man, this guy's copping out right and left. Look what he The woman you gave me. I didn't ask for her. You said it wasn't good for man to be alone. I never told you that. You're the one that put me to sleep and took her out of my chest. Took one of my ribs with it. I want my rib back. The woman you gave me, you gave me. In other words, what's he saying? God, it's your fault. She's the one that gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. What a sorry scene. And it's a mean one, too. 
What a mean cat. This guy fell hard, didn't he? Now look, first Adam blames God. The woman you gave me, you did it. Next he blames the woman. She gave me the fruit of the tree. And then he finally says, this didn't get me anywhere. So he confesses his own part and it didn't, not very many words. Okay, I eat it. I ate it. That's after blaming everybody he could think of. I ate it. The fact that Adam could first blame God for his own sin and then drag the woman in as the culprit when just a short while before he had ecstatically exclaimed when he saw her, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. The fact that he could now blame her for what he did is testimony of the frightening effects of sin on human character. The minute you sin, you begin to fall. The minute you sin, it begins to affect you. It does so much more than you think. Now, Adam wasn't alone in the blame game. Although the woman didn't try to implicate God, she did try to blame the serpent. She said, well, since he's blaming everybody, let me blame somebody. The serpent deceived me, she said. But she knew it wasn't flying. She said, well, okay, I ate. I did eat too. And here comes the consequences. Let's look here. God's sentence fell in three parts. First, judgment fell on the serpent, then on Eve, finally on Adam. On the serpent fell two things, very important, everybody, humiliation and war fell on the serpent. Look what it says in verse 14, chapter 3 of Genesis. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, quote, because you have done this, he blamed the serpent, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. I'm cursing you, serpent. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Now, I want to quote commentator John Phillips here because that's a great statement. I couldn't, I couldn't improve on this. Quote, for the serpent, the creature that had lent its body to the evil one to be the instrument through which temptation could come, there was degradation to the dust. The silent, writhing motion of the serpent to this day forms a symbol of waves and coils written in the dust of the earth written in lines full of repulsion and menace written to remind us of the curse what is it about a snake that everybody runs from that thing men look at the serpent with loathing with horror with fear so god cursed that serpent god cursed that beast that reptile. Now, the curse went further, and he now moves from the serpent to Satan. God didn't address him. No questions were asked whatsoever of, the, of, the, of Satan. He judged him and declared war, war with him. Then and there, look at the war. He says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, see that verse? That's the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. That's the first prophecy in the Old Testament. It's the first messianic prophecy in the Bible. Genesis 3.15 has been called the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. With these words, Adam and Eve heard the gospel message for the very first time. Don't you love God? In the middle of their tragic fall, my God and your God comes in and begins to minister hope. They lifted up their fallen heads with fresh hope to the very first prophecy of Scripture. This amazing prophecy encompassed both of the comings of Jesus Christ. The second coming of Christ, which is going to take place any time now, 
The second coming of Christ to crush the serpent's head was pronounced first. The seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head. That's going to come when Jesus Christ returns in the second coming. He is going to grab the devil, seize the enemy, and every demon in hell, and hurl them into the abyss. He will bruise his head. That's talking about a death blow. A death blow. Now, the reason God talked about the second coming first was because the triumph outshines the tragedy. Amen? He, the seed of the woman, will strike your head. Now, the bruising of Christ's heel was mentioned next. For only by means of the cross could the ultimate victory come. Only by means of the cross. So the, on the cross, the serpent struck the Lord's heel. Isn't this amazing? All the way back in the beginning in Genesis, God said, the seed of the woman, the Messiah, is going to bruise the Satan's head, deal him a death blow. But the serpent is going to bruise his heel. When they put those spikes through the Lord Jesus' heel, Genesis 3.15 was fulfilled. Powerful stuff. In his sentence of doom, Satan discovered he had actually brought about his own ruin. He overplayed his hand and... So he had fallen ambushed to God's plan, prepared for him from the beginning. And look what his plan was, an empty tomb. An empty tomb. And that was God's plan, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Easter cometh, and I can't wait for Easter. Amen? Now, while seeking to avenge himself on God for casting him out of heaven, the devil had opened the way for God to settle things once and for all. The very planet upon which Satan had attacked the apple of God's creation would become the place for the final battle and his ultimate defeat when Jesus Christ comes again. The seed of the woman would put an end to sin and Satan. Now, of course, this was all fulfilled when the Holy Spirit overshadowed the Virgin Mary and that which was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. Can we stand together? <clears throat> Amen. You say with me, God is good. Next time we're going to be looking at the judgment that was pronounced upon Adam. It's going to matter to you. And we're going to look at the appearance of the very first false religion. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you right now for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of the word. Thank you for showing us how the enemy successfully brought down Eve and then Adam. And Lord, we see the same bag of tricks used against us. Help us to be wise and to learn from what we see in the Word of God. And we thank you for it, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Now I want you to take a minute and just say, Lord, give me the wisdom to recognize if the enemy is trying to delude me, deceive me, attack me, Bring me down in the place of temptation and give me wisdom to fight it off with the Word of God. If you're under temptation here tonight, I want you to take a second and just give it to the Lord right now and say, Lord, help me. Help me. Help me to not be the devil's fool. In the mighty name of Jesus, and I want to say with our heads bowed, listen carefully to me, I'm speaking now by the Spirit. Don't touch that drug. 
Don't get into a relationship you know is wrong. No matter how convincing it seems. Don't drown yourself out in alcohol. Trust the Lord. Cleave to His Word. And flee the scene of temptation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give Him a hand of praise tonight.